everybody, and welcome to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing. Very often those writers have been recommended to me by writers who have previously been on the show. In the case of this month's guest, Ava Hoffman, she was recommended to me by Never Angeline North, so if you like this episode, go back and listen to that one if you missed it, and if you liked that one, stick around, because this one will also be pretty good. Ava Hoffman is a poet and writer currently living and working in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. A visual poet, her experimental and multimodal work concerns itself with trans-queer history, Marxism, and the frustrated desire inherent to encounters with the literary archive. Her first full-length book, Bracket Ellipses Bracket, of which most of our conversation is about, is available for pre-order from Astrophil Press. There is a link in the show notes, so either patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe or noisemakerjoe.com will get you a link there, or her Twitter, which is at saint underscore somatic. Really briefly, I'd like to plug my Patreon officially, patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. There's three different tiers, which gets you three different types of things. I want to give a special thanks to my first ever $10 a month patron, Glenn Stefani. If you too would like your name shouted out at some point during the episode, you can also give me $10 a month at patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. For a one-time donation, you can go to paypal.me slash noisemakerjoe, or you can buy my book, Hired. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Ava. So much of what uh, I talk about with writers of things that uh, writers of books who format in ways that people are not used to, your average reader is not used to, is, is, is wanting to figure out how they came to that uh, style, how why they would want to do something like that, uh, what what draws them to formatting things in the way that they're formatted. Um, and as I was reading this book, I realized that at the very end, pretty much all of my questions are, are kind of answered because you have a change log at the back of the book, which I really appreciated. And I'm curious about that uh, desire to sort of explain yourself at the end of the book. Yeah, so I think, you know, having sort of an explanation sort of right at the end of the book, this so-called changelog, which is spelled like epilogue mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of the sort of the compute, normal computer term. Um, it was, it's, I think, partially that I'm sort of, the way I think about writing is that it's really grounded in, in practice, right? And something I just hate about writing a lot of the time and 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 poetry especially is that um there's very little information about the means by which the author sort of derived their work right um some and and whenever there like are detailed sort of explanations of a a writer's practice right i've always found them to be deeply useful and inspiring right and actually helped me like engage with the pieces, you know, in a, in a book or, or in a deeper way, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I think having a practice-oriented way of thinking about writing, right, and thinking about the methodologies by which um, sort of this piece of writing is derived, right, I think is really important because sometimes with a lot of art, I feel like we see the, like, the finished like commercial product of a piece of art and we have no clue how it's derived and 
for me personally, um, when I, it, it used to be when I saw stuff like that, I would get really discouraged. I'd be like, I couldn't ever do something like mm. that, right? Um, when I, until, you know, especially with like visual art, right? Because I, I, I turned, as a very, very young child, I turned from visual art to writing mm. in part because I just did not have the, what I thought I didn't have the dexterity for it, mm. right? Because it was like, oh yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't paint anything that looks right, or I can't draw anything that looks right. And just realizing, basically, partway through this book, right, that a I was now sort of back to doing the visual stuff, and b that um, <clears throat> the uh, th- that most of the times, like this really amazing visual work I loved was like derived by what were essentially like strange and sort of hacky means, right? Like um, that I just didn't know the actual methodology by which some of these works were derived. And when I realized that methodology, it felt that much more immediately accessible. Um, it, I think it recontextualized those things for me. I just think in general, um, poetry especially should be taking more cues from, from the way visual art treats its treats the work it creates. I find that interesting because a lot of times people who write um, more visually familiar poems talk about editing a lot. And even after talking to a lot of them, I I still like I have a hard time getting it. Like, what what do you mean by editing? <laughs> like, the words are there. You you wrote the poem, like, or just the idea behind editing poetry um and maybe it's because my sort of academic knowledge of poetry is is very surface level like i get that um you know there's stressed and unstressed syllables and people are counting words and lines and things and i you know i kind of get what a kenning is and that there are forms of of poetry that you could be drawing from to try to match up with and stuff but like the idea of of somebody like kind of belaboring over a sentence in a poem for days is um so far away from my own writing process that it like it feels very alien to me that you would like kind of just sit and stare um and maybe that's the case in these two but um i mean just the fact that they're so um you know um you know, so not that, like, there's so much more to it. Um. Yeah, and sort of with editing, right, um, you know, it, I mean, sort of detailed it sort of in the, in the change log is, right, is that mm-hmm. uh, the vast majority of sort of those, those, those ellipses and brackets, right, um, are places where I removed writing that I had done previously, right? Like a, the vast majority of them are. Um, and yeah, I would say I, f- I feel similarly about editing, right? I feel like um, it does make sense sometimes because sometimes you'll read something back and you'll be like, this is bad, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, sort of the way poets sort of sort of belabor <laughs> over a line, right? As you're sort of describing. Yeah. I, I also find it's kind of strange, right? And I also, I find it kind of reflective of a culture of poetry that has sort of been MFA-ified, right? Mm. In the sense that um, 
like these and and it's something I, I had ended up doing for a really long time in the sense that um, poets will like imagine like a poet in their head, right? That's reading that their work and, ima and imagining what that poet would say or just like the person in their workshop would say, mm. <laughs> right? Like, um, and the thing is, is that that sort of is, becomes the source of a lot of editing that, that I, I find, right? Um, and increasingly what I've been interested in as I've sort of gone on sort of the visual stuff is like trying to find ways of writing that would make that like cursed poet in my head be mad, but then I have to admit that the poem is good anyway. Mm. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it's just, I find editing the editing of poetry in some ways troubling because it's sort of a way of manicuring your thoughts a little bit in a sense, right? Mm. You, you know, sort of tur turning, in general, I just find edited art not as appealing to me, right? I generally prefer art to be a sort of like direct from, you know, as sort of, direct from the moment of creation as, as possible because I think the things that people edit out, right, are oftentimes reflective of things that are sort of socially censured in their in their head, right? Like the, like I'm thinking about some of the sometimes the the students that I have taught poetry to, um, they'll like write in the way that they think a poet should write. And I mm -hmm. think I think a lot of people are still writing that way. And there aren't like, I don't know. I just find it ends up abstracting people from actual access to the ways that they could express themselves. Yeah. Um, and in general, right, I sort of want this, for this book especially, I wanted this sort of fidelity to all of the people who I sort of was before uh, over the course of the, of the writing of, of, of Bracket Ellipsis Bracket. Um, because it felt like if I just sort of didn't mark where there was sort of a, a, a me who was sort of fumbling over the words to express herself, um, I felt like that would be a disservice to who I was. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to think um, when, when I think about writing I think about music a lot um and yeah I sort of like the poetry that's more like jazz right like mm. ev even when it is because I mean like you get into the um you know the free jazz type stuff and it's very much jazz musicians playing jazz music for jazz musicians right like mm -hmm. um they're they're just impressing each other but it's still happening on the fly it's very practice but it's happening on the fly and I it's, there's stuff like that that I appreciate like um, or you know on the sort of less technical end like punk music is very much like um, you know angry pop music distilled down to, to something quick uh, that I, I find I like and bringing that over to poetry and the type of poetry that I tend to read and tend to enjoy, like definitely falls into different categories where there's stuff like this, where it's kind of esoteric, 
um and then the the crusty white man in the midwest writing poems about cornfields and um <laughs> and and then you're you're sort of i don't know i feel like people hate it when i say post alt lit poetry but i i also feel like we know what we're talking about um uh, understandable that people would hate that too. yeah you know but but this very much um you know auto auto poetry uh not a lot of punctuation not a lot of capitalization lots of alcohol consumption uh within the con within the text of the poem that sort of thing so it's like these kind of three um baskets very, very different very different right i mean that's the thing it's kind of like free jazz punk and and rap music you know so they're sort of all being constructed uh with similar i don't know vibes i guess but with very different outputs and i, I feel like there's other things too i really like the sort of post beat um jesse bernstein uh, type of thing uh, that was like happening in the 90s that I I'm not super well enough read to say that I like that sort of thing but I really like Jesse <laughs> Bernstein um, you know the idea that some dudes like reading poetry opening for Nirvana is, is very interesting to me um, but uh, to bracket ellipses bracket which I want to I want to invert the words I want to call it ellipses bracket ellipses but that's not that's not what it's called at all um i'm i'm very interested in the um how it's like a a manuscript that somebody found in a cave inside of a, a clay jar um and and like hastily arranged while being digitally photographed and digitized um because not only is it scraps but it's scraps kind of overlaid on each other and and stuff um which now that I think about it is is sort of with the theme of kind of going back to old writing, editing it, and then, you know, giving respect to the person who edited this part and then the person who wrote this part. So um, was that the sort of impetus behind this arrangement of the text or was there something else? Yeah, so, um, you know, when I sort of started the project, right, I was sort of concept because at the time, you know, I was sort of, I was an undergrad, so I was into weird undergrad things like uh, like medieval poetry because I was in a number of medieval poetry sort of courses. or And um, I was really, really drawn to sort of the, specifically the um, old English charms, both sort of the just prose ones and, and metrical ones, right? And it just... You know, at that time I was writing a, a, a lot of poetry already, and it was kind of like I was so interested in like these poems that were sort of operating in like a like an instruction, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, it was supposed to be medicine, and it was also formatted in this like weird way, yeah, where it was sort of asking you to do something to produce a result, right? Which felt so different from a lot of the poetry I was reading at the time, right? That it was, you know, it was sort of like a, a very different vision of, I think, what we think about poetry as being, right? As sometimes coming from the individual in a certain way. Um, <laughs> and um, so, sort of, so it sort of started with that, right? And I sort of wanted to 
write poems that were sort of based on these sorts of, these sorts of ancient medieval manuscripts and things. And so um, it started out as just sort of, yeah, aping aspects of the style and adding anachronisms and uh, sometimes ellipses. And, um, and in fact, sort of the first draft of like the first completed draft of the book, right? In fact, did include like this whole, like very overwrought, like explanation of where the book was found and derived, mm. right? It was like, like that's what the sort of the introduction of the book used to be was this, it was much longer and it was this detailed description, this like detailed fake philology of how the manuscript came to be. And this was before it sort of became this sort of, I sort of basically chopped up the book and collaged it together. But um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, and it was terrible. It was terrible to do that actually, mm -hmm. like um, to give it, to sort of make the, uh, the w that concrete, like to give it this really fake narrative that doesn't, that didn't make any sense. Um, when, uh, but it's so, it, but it's really funny, right? So I was trying to like produce that effect by like basically telling, <laughs> telling the reader that this was the effect, right? Um, but when I sort of, you know, sh shot the introduction full of holes, right, and mm -hmm. then and then tore my, tore my the first draft up and collaged it together like I did, um, it pro it produced that sense way better with more of maybe a sense of of mystery, right? It was, it was, it's so interesting because um, when I, like for like the first two or three years I was working on the manuscript, whenever I had people sort of look at drafts of poems, they would always be like, why is this anachronism thing happening? Like they wouldn't get mm. why I was doing sort of this anachronistic stuff that was like, and they just thought it was a weird, <laughs> right? But then sort of it crossed a certain point when I started doing this editing, right? Where I was like, I'm not explain when I was, I sort of gave up on explaining it, right? Um, uh, that people stopped asking, right? It mm. sort of, all of a sudden it, it made sense. It was, it was very surprising actually. Mm. I was just gonna accept that the reader was gonna be confused. <laughs> and give them no, no way through. <laughs> but then it, it feels like, in fact, it completely reduced the confusion. Um, which, and then, and I think maybe that is sort of reminiscent of the way of when we sort of derive artifacts from the past, like a manuscript. Oftentimes we might not have any context for it. And we sort of have to read into it, right? And I think the whole book ends up sort of being about reading into, right? On, on even like a micro sentence level, where you're sort of with these ellipses, you're sort of forced to interpret what could be in the gap. Um, yeah, and also there, yeah, this aspect of Fidel sort of like taking what I did previously and sort of, it, it's funny because I ended up sort of do, in my editing process did sort of what ends up ha happening to medieval manuscripts, right? Um, this is really great um, example that I love to bring up, which is sort of the Exeter manuscript, which was a really important 
medieval manuscript for um, has some some major uh, texts in it, or you know, it, it has a lot in it. And um, at one point, it was like so. It's this book that's like a treasure now, right? Mm-hmm. But at some point, like in the far past, some like monk was using the book as a cutting board mm-hmm. for food, right? <laughs> and it's like this sort of process of people sort of, you know, this sort of deposition of, of use, right? Over time was really, really interesting to me. I ended up kind of doing it. it it's kind of part of why I guess the book had to take five years to be made mm-hmm. uh, in order to sort of produce that effect in, in microcosm. Yeah, I... I think also starting the uh, the book with a quote from the Voynich manuscript really helps set the scene. I, I think that that <laughs> uh, plays into that sort of thing a lot where, um, you know, that that book is almost, well, I, I guess it really depends. The, the people who I've been listening to who mention it uh, the most lately seem to think that it's a fraud that some somebody in the 15th century wrote something that seemed kind of freaky because there was money to be made in in selling supposedly primordial uh knowledge so it it seems like oh man if this is some sort of angelic erst spraka that we can divine what what the meaning is like we'll be able to really break through some things but um the idea of starting with that uh, is quite fantastic. Like, I, to tell you the truth, because you sent me the PDF quite a while ago, and I, I opened it up, I scrolled down to that, and I was like, "Oh boy, all right, <laughs> we're gonna need, <laughs> we're gonna need a weekend to to go through this. This isn't something I'm gonna be able to kind of just play around with." Uh, <laughs> I, and I think there's something really, uh, really smart about doing that. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because, um, yeah, my sort of philosophy, sort of with writing a lot of the time, ends up being, what is the most meaningful, terrible joke that I can make mm. in, at at this moment of time, right? And like, I feel like, like you know starting with like a quote right it's not even a quote right it's just the nonsense letters of the Voynich manuscript right sort of starting with those as as a sort of an epigraph right um was so funny to me right because it was like an epigraph is usually something you're using to sort of read into like like what is the sort of the the framework in which this text is being written mm-hmm. and then sort of gi- give it like giving like a like uh, actually a completely meaningless essentially um epigraph that sort of discards any sort of framework you could develop for it was i thought was really funny right um a, a lot of this book is ill-advised jokes <laughs> in a way, right? Sure. But, there, there's uh, a lightheartedness but, to, to some of the framing of it, I suppose. But, uh, but done such that it's like deadly serious, right? I mm-hmm. feel like, I feel like, um, I don't know. There's a lot of writers that take writing like really seriously in a way that I find, uh, 
not what I want to do, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In the sense that, um, like, and, and like my work is really, really serious, right? But it's like, it's like good comedy, right? Like good comedy is really, really serious. Right. It's also like you get at the serious from sort of the humor. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I like the, you know, I I do find that uh, knowing exactly how important something is in the moment is, is a, a rare but useful skill. I also find that I mostly ignore epigraphs and here I am talking about one um, when it is, you know, I, I think I'm saying the joke landed or, or worked because, <laughs> because normally, you know, I don't know. I almost feel like I, I should go back and read those after reading the book to figure out like why they were there. But a lot of the time I just kind of see them and my eyes glaze over and it's like, okay, that's, if I wanted to read that book, I'd read that book. L- let me read your book. And <laughs> like I, I don't know why I never learned in school the the usefulness of them. I just sort of like just passed them by. Um, but in this case, I didn't, and and we're just speaking about it for five minutes, which I think is uh, maybe something somebody can learn from if they ever listen to this and and figure out exactly what it is we mean yeah i i think it's great to take like things that people think are sort of useless or like sometimes people like declare no one will ever do anything good with this and i always sort of take it as like a challenge like Mm. yeah really i'm okay i'll challenge accepted right (laughs) you know (laughs) um and people say and for good reason people sort of say those things about epigraphs right a lot of epigraphs do just suck (laughs) <laughs> in the way you're sort of describing right um where i don't want to read this book i want to read your book you know but uh, yeah i'm glad it landed i hope i hope in general the sort of the jokes were landing yeah there there was one uh nearish the end uh i kind of burst out loud laughing at where it was like oh yeah um you probably know. I, I want, I'm, I'm curious if, if no, you, no, you no, know no. I, I, what I I'm talking about. I don't about. know which one it is. Um, I don't know which one it is. I was just excited that you, oh, good. you had a physical reaction to my book. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> in the text, um, the text referring to the footnotes. And it's like, I want to beat their head in or something, like something violent. <laughs> and there's a footnote next to it. And it's like, I have no idea what this is referring to. It, it felt great. Like, I loved that because i was also reading it like it was a book written today that had somehow been like passed backward through time and in the process of going back through time got super messed up and then came back and then apparently went back in time again and then came back enough to have references to the person doing the footnotes um and uh we'll we'll let everybody mark their writing the rapids bingo cards because you know, I can't read a fiction book uh, with footnotes without thinking about House of Leaves, and um, I, I just like the idea that the that the book becomes aware of itself uh, in a sort of adversarial way, even for just a <laughs> moment. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it, it, and it, it was also it was also sort of tying into the aspects of the book that was sort of you know, it's functioning in this mystical way, right? Like, it, at least it parts of it 
it's gone way off the rails from that sort of initial like engaging with spells sort mm-hmm. of thing, right? But it still sort of has that thing where it's sort of trying to be within sort of this esoteric or magical framework and like sort of that moment as like a like a it's a, I think it's a good joke about prophecy mm. <laughs> um, and how um, that the, that oftentimes I feel like then the actual meaning of a text actually can take the the time that accrues to a text actually oftentimes informs the the readings we may do, do more than the text itself mm. if that makes sense I'm thinking about this really great medieval poem old English medieval poem called The Ruin, right? Um, and how, so it's like, for one, it's sort of this, you know, this old English medieval writer describing this even more ancient uh, Roman ruin in mm-hmm. in, in England. Um, and it sort of starts out like we have the full text, right? But then more and more gaps in the text appear as the poem goes on, right? And then until the end, like we just don't have the end of the poem. So like the po- this poem, the ruin itself sort of fittingly becomes a ruin, hmm. right? And like that made, and that's just like, especially at the time when I was thinking about how like, um, like, the, like the physical processes that happen to objects have meaning, right? Um, that was like really interesting to me. I think also like, um, I'm thinking also about Sappho um, and how most of the works of hers that we have are in fragment, right? And I think because they're in fragment, actually they're like 10 times better. Like the poems are so much better because they're, they're, they're fragments. Um, I feel like if we had the full text, right? Sometimes I, I feel like we would be let down in a way, you know mm. what I mean? But because it's, it's sort of this like, we get these little little tastes of queer poetry, right? Without sort of maybe getting bogged down in, in like what would, you know, what does ancient Greek queerness actually look like? And mm. is it even sort of recognizable to us in the present, right? Um, but because it's fragmented in that way, I feel like it, it made the poem better, that made those poems better for me at least. Yeah, anyway. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't I haven't really engaged with Sappho's work at all, um, but I do I do find it interesting like how into her people are, and you know I'm I'm thinking about like the Library of Alexandria and you know people are sad about how much is lost but like how much of that is just like cookbooks or just like. <laughs> whatever whatever the however many years bce um like self-help manuals like just how much like most of the stuff that gets written today is pretty bad so like how much of the stuff in that library was just like kind of boring garbage and and how much how much of the the boring garbage that we have that we find super important it is super important because it's the only writing from that era you know like mm-hmm. There, there's quite a, quite a lot of erotic binding spells that we find in, in magical manuscripts that, I mean, in 4,000 years, are people going to find pickup artist books and be like, oh man, this is how, this is how people got girls back in the day. Like, this is what they did when they were lonely. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I, I hope 
hope not. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and, and, and you know, the, the book is also really about that sort of misinterpretation of, of history, right? And in fact, is in many ways a, a willful misinterpretation of history in order to sort of gain a meaning. Um, and just like, you know, thinking about like the way we, the ways we sort of don't understand the past, right? Or that things about the past that might have been important to us might be missing or have been not recorded or destroyed, right? I'm thinking about like, um, you know, like a queer history, right? Um, so many um, people in the LGBTQ community um, don't know a whole lot about the history of their community, right? And it's partially because of these histories of sort of destroying archives, um, of archives not being able to be preserved because literally expressing queerness was illegal, illegal, right? And how, again, it, it's like, and also just the fact that queer history is just like not taught <laughs> right. anywhere, right? Um, and we can think about those things as like, um, you know, what does that do for one's understanding of, of oneself, right? And a big sort of aspect of this book was like trying to read in, in this anachronistic way, like willfully anachronistic way, try to we read queerness into history, right? To try to, see, you know, access at least some sort of notion about that someone like me could like have been operating in some way in the past. If that, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. right? That, that, um, cause I think a lot of bigotry frame transness, especially as this sudden ahistorical anomaly, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, that it's just this new thing. It's unnatural. It's evil. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Um, when, um, I, I'll agree about the evil part. I definitely <laughs> am evil. Um, but, uh, like, you know, it's this sort of horrible joke played on queer people where it's the sense that like, I mean, there is a, thankfully a, a pretty decent historical archive that proves that wrong, right? But also there's a sense in which it's like this, this joke where uh, we're going to periodically destroy any record of people like you existing in history. Mm -hmm. And then each time when you try to make a movement to get yourself represented. Um, we're then uh, gonna say you're an ahistorical anomaly. Uh, this is unnatural and then destroy you and your records again, right? It's very funny in a very dark way, right? Yeah. It's like this terrible joke, right? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> the things I find funny might not be funny. <laughs> well, I understand what you're saying. Uh, some Sometimes, uh, you know, I'm afraid to laugh too hard because people then might read things into my laughter. Um, but yeah, like I do things that aren't there, especially. Um, I, I find that that is something that is kind of fascinating to me. And again, like some of, some of the more like historical stuff I've been engaging with kind of like pick through these old texts, especially like religious texts. And it's like, isn't it weird how like here we're talking about god as a male and then we like 
the the hebrew here is like very feminine like all of the grammar is feminine in this specific part like that's interesting we're like you know doing these interesting things over here and and this idea you know i i feel like i should do more research myself to like really sort of understand um how prevalent certain things were in the past but i remember seeing something on like instagram or something where it was like you know back in the day there was this roman senator who was like the only one who only had women in his concubine and everybody kind of laughed at him for how weird he was or or <laughs> you know people on on tiktok just being like joan of arc was trans and i'm not going to explain myself sort of thing um <laughs> that like i mean even alexander the great who seems fairly uh you know it, it kind of seems like the book is fairly closed on where he stood um there is that like weird thing of like um i don't know it's like you have a responsibility to portray people as as they were um which is is both like we need to really make sure that we understand that this guy was bisexual or we need to not place our labels on him sort of thing like you know you kind of understand what i'm saying there's like a double like pull yeah, I, I, and I definitely feel feel that way, right? Like, um, like I understand and agree with sort of like the way people sort of are sort of anachronistically reading transness into history, right? Like Joan of Arc was trans, right? Like um, in a, in a very real way, like that seems true that there is some kind of continuity between Joan of Arc's experiences and and sort of what we understand as transness in the present, right? But there's also a literal way in which a conceptualization of like the social technology or the social category of transgender like did not exist hmm. in the medieval era, right? Um, and how like the the way in which sort of these social things end up being articulated, right? Can so fundamentally change the way people move through them, right? Mm. Like, I feel like, I mean, it's partially also the internet, but I think an additional sort of part of sort of the reason why um, trans rights have become sort of this mounting important thing, um, or it's like at least something that isn't completely relegated <laughs> to, um, you know, it, it isn't just this completely sort of tossed aside thing as it was for so long is is partially because you know people were start you know were starting to develop sort of language around gender that helped like articulate concrete political goals right because before sort of the like before sort of the way transgender came to be used in the context we're currently using it right it was mostly that the word transsexual was being used mm -hmm. right and and how that was operating in a certain medicalized context that ended up um kind of uh shackling trans people to the medical sorry this this is a loud plane. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but it kind of ended up shackling um, trans people to these medicalized, um, the, basically the medical oppression that they were experiencing, right? Mm -hmm. As, socially speaking. Um, 
and it yeah sort of ended up um and it was only until sort of the activism was sort of being reframed socially did did transness as a as we were sort of understanding it presently really kind of come into the fore in a way that was useful for giving trans people rights right um and you know, I I, fi- I find like I agree, right? I do willingly misread into history, right? This mm-hmm. whole book is about it, while at the same time sort of recognizing, right, that um, you know the word transgender didn't exist in 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 uh, like uh, ten sixty six or something, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> right. And it and this is it's this complicated thing. Instead of and so I just try to make my misreading be willful, I guess. I think even from like a non-political kind of standpoint, there is, we, we do that too, right? Like, uh, like nobody was walking around calling themselves a Gnostic probably. Um, or I just, I just watched a couple of videos about the Cathars who are presumably this group of Christians, these like heretical Christians who had their own sort of, uh, cosmology who were going to like overthrow the church and then got completely wiped out by the Templars. Um, and it's like, Oh wait, maybe, maybe not. Like there's probably a group that believed these things, but they were probably pretty small, not all that organized and definitely not like set on destroying the church. That's just like what the writings of the church said at the time. Um, that like, you know, you, it's, it's kind of foolish to think that you can do a, a accurate reading of history. Um, like every reading of history is a misreading. And so, you know, especially if you're doing it from the perspective of just trying to like see yourself in, in history. Um, I, I don't see how that could be all that bad, especially if you're not publishing books about it and trying to convince, you know, millions of people that that's actually what was the real thing that was happening. Right. And, and, and it sort of makes sense as sort of the vector of, you know, of, of these sorts of counter readings, right? Because of how, you know, the histories of sort of the interpretation of the historical record, right, have been skewed so much towards sort of, oppressive ends right things Mm. like intentionally not reading queerness into certain experiences like like you know i just in like a poetry example right the the fact that um like i i didn't make the connection that that emily dickinson was queer until like Mm. like (laughs) three or three or four years ago or something right and when you actually look at sort of the things going on with emily dickinson right it becomes in her life it becomes very clear that um the sort of language about she was this sort of hermit right Mm. was actually just a way to sort of encode and hide the fact that uh she she loved women Mm. (laughs) right right um yeah and so that sort of thing is important um in sort of response to sort of a massive sort of history of failing to interpret history in ways that are equitable. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that gives me an awful lot to think about. <laughs> Darn it. Uh, every <laughs> once in a while, every time this happens that like 
I just get at a loss. So like, oh god, okay, maybe I should should read a couple books. Um, <laughs> uh, one of the things I I note as as I've been kind of scrolling through is is the uh, there's both it kind of looks like handwritten or hand drawn things scanned in, and then also like sigils or asymmetric not asymmetric asemic uh writing that looks like it's drawn in digitally um mm-hmm. that's sort of like a nitty-gritty sort of ponderance i have but like especially on page like 52 and uh 51 i think where there's like the the sort of broken pottery thing that's very clearly drawn in and then sort of near the beginning you have both of that where it's like these sort of computer drawn hieroglyphs um mixed in with scribbles that have been scanned in um and there's even photographs too so like the sort of mixed media nature um is is curious to me in in you know what is otherwise sort of a uh pseudo historical text yeah um yeah it's it's sort of sort of an interesting question right about sort of the the way i use sort of media yeah i mean the funny thing is that um you know this whole book was written in microsoft word which Mm. is (laughs) sometimes when i say that people like look at me like i'm a very a very strange person <laughs> um that it yeah um and sort of i guess my thoughts about it were um you know at the time i was just trying every way in which i could um play like because at the time when i was writing i sort of had this idea that um a book should have like should that a, that a good way for a book to work would be that it would basically it would set out some ideas and explore the entire possibility space for those ideas, right? Like almost like like it was a, like a, I think it was uh, watching a lot of videos on game design at the time mm. <laughs> and thinking about like difficulty curves and such. And that's completely not in this book because I the difficulty curve stuff because I completely made it one difficulty curve which is very hard (laughs) (laughs) um but um and uh sort of in so doing right i was just trying to see what were the different ways i could get certain visual effects right because Mm. i i knew i sort of wanted images right um and and a lot of the images were sort of digitally derived right um and uh which i think made sense for for how i was doing things but sort of sort of at near the tail end of finish of this book right i started getting more and more antsy right Mm. and so after this point there's like a lot more of stuff that i'm doing like not with digital drawing although i still do a lot of that um where i was just like this book is like it's there's like this contradiction that was in my head where it was like this book is like simulating a physical object that is just entirely digital right there is something distressing to me about that at the time Mm. um 
And it was kind of like part of maybe a broader practice that I've started doing in my writing where I sort of like, I feel like people like make a ton of art without realizing it, right? Hmm. In the sense that I feel like like when you're taking notes in class and you're doodling or you're sort of, uh, you know, so yeah, like sometimes when I doodle on things or I make a, a journal entry, right? Or when I'm, when I'm sort of taking notes or just, um, there's all this sort of like little scribbly doodly stuff or even like when we're, when someone, when a person is like humming a nonsense song they're not thinking about doing, right? Or, you know, little, little dance flourishes someone might do when in private, right? And it sort of, I was realizing that, that I was like, I had this, because I, I was sort of hoarding <laughs> a bunch of paper <laughs> that, uh, because, I, because I was in grad school, so I was like, there might be something slightly relevant on one of these pieces of paper for my research or, or whatever, right, mm -hmm. at some point. Um, and I, I just sort of looked back at, at it, and I saw there were all these sorts of like, doodles I was doing, right? And a lot of them were sort of like weird nonsense sigils, right? Um, and some of them, like I did sort of design for um, the book, but like a lot of those things were things that I was not thinking would go into the book, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it was sort of about taking seriously, like I feel like there's a lot of artistic production that is not taken seriously by the artists who are doing them. Right, like, like, like I, f I just find it absolutely strange to me that people like do this journal, right? And the journal that they do is just like this. Actually, I love reading people's like art journals or like the, their poetry journals and or thing and things because they're amazing, right? They're always amazing. They're always so interesting to me and way better than like finished books a lot of the time, and. And so I just get so confused that people are sort of like, yep, and now I will steal from this or just hide it away forever and never look at it, right? And never take this doodling seriously, right? And so this this book was sort of the start of that mm. process for me, where I was starting to take like the art detritus that I was like not thinking about and like thinking like, this is actually worthwhile, right? Because it's sort of connected to I, I want to say the human desire to create, but at least my desire to create and 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 sort of exist. I don't know if that may. I get. I get that does make sense, but it's just. Um, I feel like. It's a weird thing to articulate sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that idea that you know you're kind of always making art like I, the the especially when it comes to writing the idea of like practice is really weird for me um i know i tweeted a long time ago that like i wish there were like drills i could do like i would be beyond you know r slash writing prompts on reddit like some sort of <laughs> like i don't i don't know like i can't even imagine what it would be but some sort of drill where it's um just just something i can do like in the morning just like 500 words here's your parameters go do it and then not have to worry about it anymore and like i know that like there's been creative writing classes i've done where 
um, in college where the professor's like, all right, for the first 15 minutes, here's a prompt, write on it, and then we'll get in. And, and it always like led into whatever the subject of the, the class session was too. So it wasn't just like a waste. But um, I don't know, something beyond writing prompts, like something that could be even more iterative um and i i think so much of what i enjoy about um you know the experimental writing air quotes thing is that a lot of it feels like the people who are working like that figured out what it was i'm trying to articulate and and manage mm-hmm. to make it into a book yeah yeah i mean it's sort of like i think what you're sort of getting at is that um for me at least like Poetry is oftentimes like about inventing a problem and then trying to solve it. Mm. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I feel I feel like a lot of poetry has specifications, like maybe what you're sort of describing, sure. or at least you're sort of inventing a specification that's just in your head, uh, and you're it's it's kind of like a puzzle game without any rules, as what I've, I've said previously about poetry, mm. because. Um, it's sort of uh, like, you know, it's like when I sort of was like, yeah, I'm going to collage these, these, up uh, these, po- these poems together, right? It was kind of like, um, it then became this really interesting puzzle about like, which ones should I set against each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do, how do they sort of interact? Um, and, um, yeah, I think that is what really interests me about poetry specifically, right? Because I'm always very, sometimes poets don't like talking about like a, their their a, their project, right, of poetry, right? Mm-hmm. But I just find the project stuff so interesting. Like, like I just love that shit. I, it's just like, yes, teach me how to read your poem as I'm, as I'm like reading your book, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I, I just want more, books that like invent really strange and arcane rules that then are just followed throughout the book right um and that's what i like about experimental writing mm-hmm. uh, no air quotes um, <laughs> um in the sense that um uh it's like it has these sorts of these rules that i'm really sort of drawn to i i, I think we're on the same page about this in, in, in certain ways right um I just like those 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 projects because um, they're able to get so much out of like they're able to say so much out of maybe a very small repertoire, right? Yeah. Um, like I th- like in in certain ways, right? Like uh, you know, I think this book is very maximalist, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? In a certain way, but. Um, it was sort of derived from like very minimal units right i don't know yeah (laughs) that it does bring up the another point i wanted to bring up is, is that um i'm interested in your I don't want to do. I don't want to use a use an adverb that implies something it doesn't imply. But the fact that you um, refer to yourself as a poet and refer to what you're writing as poetry, 
when um you know next to other like inside the castle books or something like that or, or some 11 11 type stuff where it like um you know it doesn't necessarily look all that much different than people who are just calling themselves i'm just a writer or doing like object oriented or or something like that the um and i'll be clear i admire the fact that you um you know hold to the poet label i'm i'm interested in uh why that is um hmm. that's an interesting question i i actually have a regularly have crises about calling myself a poet mm. sometimes i've been like ah i should i should call myself a, a comics artist in order to but then also continue to call myself a poet in order to make everyone mad at me um <laughs> but um yeah um i think i have and there was a long period where, where i was kind of doing that but i have sort of recent have settled on just to calling myself a visual poet. Um, and I think, you know, I think it's because in part, right? I think history is actually a, a big part of maybe the way describing oneself is important, right? I don't know. In the sense that like, I'm, I've, I've been, my work is sort of derived from a poetry context. Does that make sense? Sure. Like even if it even if it might be that there's some sort of conversion evolution happening with the ITC and 1111 uh, titles right um, uh, you know it, it's it, it it's coming from sort of different positions right um, and the position I'm sort of coming from is a poetry one um, and I think especially this book is just like it's very obvious yeah. how it's connected to, to poetry right even as it's doing things that like you know nowadays I sort of think about the the, the scrapbook bits of this book I, I kind of like to think of them as like comic panels almost right because mm, um, there sure. is something almost like that about them but even then it's just so obviously a poem, you know, <laughs> um, and it, for me at least, maybe not for for other people. Um, and it's just engaged so much with the history of poetry, um, and I think that maybe is a, a, a way to sort of affirm sort of the, the poetry thing about it, right? Is that even with sort of the newer stuff I'm working on, which isn't, which is just so much not obviously a poem, <laughs> but uh, it's sort of the way I'm thinking about it, right, is like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do an art crime against poetry, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, is that, that's still sort of there. And um, yeah, it's, for me, I don't know, labels like that are still oftentimes sort of difficult and finicky, right? Yeah. But I think, um, I think calling it poetry uh, is funny because <laughs> sure. it's a, such a stark contrast to what I think um, someone thinks poetry is. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. uh, like, yeah. Uh, when I show, when I say I'm a poet and then I show people this, you, you get very interesting reactions. <laughs> um, that's what I would say. And also, I don't know, half of like labels are like a marketing thing. And I'm, 
I, I am trying to mark it. I mean, I, in some ways, I'm very much, a, I think, a, a poet's poet is, is turned out with how I, how I work. I don't think, I don't think, um, uh, I don't think sort of, a, as much as a general poetry audience doesn't exist, right? I don't think a, a general poetry audience is going to be reading what I do, unfortunately. <laughs> So I'm going to be reading from the introduction to the book. Um, and so uh, it's because this is sort of an audio reading, just something to highlight is that I'm going to sort of be repeatedly pausing as I read in sort of a strange way. And each time you hear one of these pauses is when there's sort of this ellipsis in brackets and it's sort of encouraging you to imagine the words not being said. Introduction to the first edition. During the, in the history of medieval studies, was unearthed in a, having acquired the property rights, the public, got the, the subterranean structure, she, a dead body, held in their hands, and of our perceptions of historical consciousness, the manuscript appears, become an object of dedicated study, a continued campaign on the part of the, the government to, in underground lakes, in analysis. It has only yet been allowed this book to see, mixed in with the ashes. We hear at books, at, at once, at archival access, supplant this book, texts which serve as perceiving, as a formal object embedded within a larger material system, as ideological process, archival contexts. We can, we can reconstruct a few details of late history an analysis of the subterranean structure, histories and government records, archives which reveal the, a tomb, but supplies a name. She was born, not much else is known or her previous name. She began to practice speaking in parts of her body in, we know because she told us of life had been the subject of multiple executions. Testimony and court documents, magic, the arts. It was during this time, death and the, the burial of the codex. This led to an altercation and in between nonconformities of, or witchcraft, a queer, a woman, whilst in a cult, an abomination, a burial fee, when a cavern of insidious intent opened up beneath their feet, posthumously, the bowels of the earth, one worker described the body as it 
as if grasping at its book. Archaeological analysis. The conditions in which for a century when the manuscript was, she was bound and written, reoriented into landscape format. The original has been lost, a print of which has been included. The interior of is relative. Blank space on the page verges onto this line breaks, expensive parchment pages made from sheepskin, can only speculate what meaning or purpose was intended to, to be derived from them, labor. Manuscript analysis. The primary content of the book consists a collection of poems which claim to be cures or remedies such collections are often known as grimoires or leech books, attempts to resolve illnesses through semiotic means. Poems are often known as charms or spells. Texts such as these tend to be the difficulty of interpretation, the, 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 Reader, the charms can invoke reading as if one had found literature lurking inside a, these idiosyncratic formal qualities which make poems and transgresses. And in the space between the charm is able to enter a kind of wherein transformation occurs and from the, inter, the impersonal set, the personal springs from, and even something of the subjectivity of women, despite most of literature features texts, which mutations of forms, the texts and the, the literary and symbolic, of the semiotics of of there, in so doing, these abstractions loop back on to the embodied experience of, and thereby suggest. In other words, the poems of the charms, if charms are understood, an attempt to heal the body, an encounter with the, and symbolic, and if to treat the body, which is written, she is, and, and many collections, many collections of folk remedies and contain, contingent upon the possession of, contains a few particularities which pushing the text into and territory, the invocation of the manuscript as one of common sentences, the unjust powers 
i.e. rather than the position positions the manuscript as a work which is against power. Text shifts between definitions of the word, slipping between and meanings until the 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 line, the precise meaning of is obscured. Meanings are in some sense interchangeable while the body experiences become conflated with powers and sentences, the human body, the body of the text and the body politic are. However, there are still several features into a system of radical or semiotic about both the readers in the middle of each line. Why do people keep speaking with objects, double slashes? The first of poetic meter and structure is somewhat different. Verse forms, these poems, guided by a prosodic technique known as verse, which guides line stress and structure, symmetries within each line. This pattern is more defined, written in, represent sejure, a pause, the middle of the Verse is exactly how it sounds, is dictated by across each line. Lines are all valid constructions. The answer to, there is a modern bias to view direct address to and others, non-human are not simply figurative. Nature and material culture are considered. It is to be alive and conscious with which the participation can speak. To understand this view, imagine a post-human, a radical politics. We are part of a material the material of lives is used in the service of radical personal transformation. This is the beauty and the power and of the codex. They are, she is a document that could never have. What has been dreamed of in archive, a document of transformation, which has from the grave. I hope more than anything that you enjoy these texts, who, which have suffered through years of struggle, who, to arrive upon your fingers, your ears, your eyes. Thank you.